Recovery Elevator, episode 162. The only addiction that I thought I had was tobacco. But when you, when you are addicted to something, it essentially hijacks your brain. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for almost 43 months. On today's podcast, we've got Mike. He's 37 years old. He's been sober for 603 days at the time of the recording. He's originally from San Francisco, but he's currently living in Hong Kong and is a professional musician. And before we get into our topic today, let's hear from Cafe RE. The most important thing I've learned while doing the Recovery Elevator podcast is we can't do this alone. Believe me, I tried for over two years and it was painful. So here's the good news. With Cafe RE, you get access to a confidential and unsearchable Facebook group 24 hours a day. There, you can get instant accountability and genuine connection with others who also wish to lead a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find that being sober is a tremendous opportunity and not a sacrifice. For $14 a month, you can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend online meetups, attend in-person Cafe R meetups, and participate in book club. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Okay, let's get started. It doesn't matter where you're at in this recovery journey. Your addiction, and I have named mine Gary, will start lying to you in your own voice. It took me years before I even realized this was my addiction or my EDR, my enhanced dopamine receptors lying to me, and even longer before I could decipher if it was Gary or Paul Churchill doing the internal dialogue. And I'd like to share a quick anecdote of just how convincing this internal voice, our addiction, can be. I was traveling South America in early 2014, desperately trying to stay sober. I did a three-night, four-day trip to the Amazon in Bolivia. Now, unless you packed alcohol with you, which I didn't and no one else did in our group, there was no alcohol on this trip. You couldn't simply get in a hollowed-out tree trunk and paddle down to a convenience store down the Amazon. It just wasn't an option. There was no alcohol. On the bumpy dirt road back to civilization, one would think that I might say, okay, Paul, we've got three nights. We've got four days of sobriety under our belt. Let's move forward. This is something we can definitely build on. Here we go, Paul. But nope, Gary, my addiction, started chatting and saying, dude, Paul, you just went four days without alcohol? You're freaking cured. There's no way we can be an alcoholic because an alcoholic, they wouldn't have been able to go four days without alcohol. Guess what the first thing I did when I got back into town? Yeah, I drank. And I made the least out of the rest of that trip. So here are some phrases to be on the lookout for. Now, my addiction, Gary, said the exact same thing when I was drinking in early sobriety. And he comes along chirping even now that I've almost got 43 months of sobriety. So it doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. This is applicable to everyone. Okay, the first one is beware of justification phrases such as, I didn't drink every day. I didn't drink in the mornings or in the shower before work. So I don't think I ever really had a problem. Gary will get in my ear and say, Paul, was it really that bad? And the further I get away from that last drink, my memory fades. I just don't remember it as clear as it was like it was last week. But I know that's Gary trying to convince me it wasn't that bad. But in reality, it effing sucked. It was that bad and much worse. 
Aha, watch out if your addiction says, everyone else drinks like I do. It was a wedding. Everybody blacked out, attempted the worm on the dance floor, and got kicked out of their Uber on the way home, right? Reference, everybody was Kung Fu Fighting podcast episode a couple episodes ago. No, Gary, not everybody drinks like I do. In fact, nobody drank like I did. Pump the brakes on your internal dialogue if your addiction says something like this. This next time, it's going to be completely different. Spring is approaching, and it was football season when the wheels really came off. Now that I don't have to watch the Denver Broncos get their butts kicked every Sunday, I'll be able to control my drinking. It's going to be completely different this time. That would be my addiction Gary talking. And come on, Denver Broncos, let's get our shit together this year. My addiction Gary has told me this one before. Well, I've quit once. I can quit again. Easy there, cowboy. I've learned an extremely valuable lesson the extremely hard way. It's much easier to stay sober than to get sober. I'm going to say that one more time for the value bomb effect. It's way easier for me to stay sober than for me to get sober. I had two and a half years of sobriety from 2010 to 2012 and a half. I constantly said to myself, well, we've done it once. We'll, we'll do it again. And my goodness, I barely got sober in September of 2014. I'm one of the lucky ones. If your addiction gets your ear and starts to tell you that the only person you might be negatively affecting is yourself, well, call bullshit on your addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that piece of information, Gary. But you remember that one time in 2014 when I came out of my suicide-proof jail cell and my brother who flew in from Washington was there to pick me up and he said, hey, mom's on a plane as well? Yeah. Well, my drinking affects more than just me. Man, I fell for this next one so many times. I'm cured. I just went 30, 60, 90, or almost 43 months without alcohol. There's no way I can have a drinking problem because if I did have a drinking problem, I wouldn't have made it this far. Sometimes when people cancel their Cafe RE membership, they'll let me know why. And it's so hard to read the ones that say, yeah, I hit my goal of 30 days of sobriety. I'm good to go. Community was helpful. Thank you. Best of luck, Paul. I respect the cancellation request, cancel the membership. And sometimes I see them sign up again and some people I never hear from again. Wish them all the best of luck. But when my addiction told me that I'm cured, oh man, I fell for that one a lot. No moss, Gary. No moss. Another scenario where my addiction, Gary, can make a compelling argument is at social events. And his argument can be bolstered by fog machines, by lasers, by a band. And my addiction will say something like this. Hey, Paul, look look how much fun they're having. Man. And then I've got the FOMO, the fear of missing out creeps in. Well, a couple things. I know this is Gary just being a dick. And sure, maybe they are having a lot of fun partying with the aid of a poison called alcohol. But you don't usually see them the next morning when they're throwing up in a toilet bowl. Or I might not be privy to the DUI they got while driving home. Sure, it looks like they're having fun, but they're slurring their words and are barely audible. That actually can't be fun. In fact, standing within six feet of this person isn't fun at all. And to conclude this list, the three most dangerous words Gary can chirp at me in my own voice is, I got this. Once again, these are the three most dangerous words somebody with EDR, enhanced dopamine receptors, can say. Looking back, every time I said, I got this, in regards to alcohol, I was within two to 28 hours away from a relapse. Every time. I don't got this. And I especially don't got this alone. Like Michael Singer says in one of my favorite recovery books, The Untethered Soul, you are not the voice inside your head, but the one who hears it. 
But when I was in the muck of it, it was nearly impossible for me to distinguish between the two voices. Okay, enough out of me. Let's hear from Mike. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? Mike, I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us this morning, mm -hmm. actually your evening. And Mike, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Let's see. I have been sober uh, 603 days. Nice job on that one, man. How's that feel? Feels really good. It feels really good. It's been, you know, it's been kind of a bumpy ride, but it's been, it's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely happy that I, that I did it. Nice job. And, and Mike kind of accidentally started the journey into sobriety. And we'll get more into that later. But before we get any further, Mike, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from, your age, what you do for a living. Do you have a family? And, and what do you like to do for fun? Sure. Well, I'm 37 years old. I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area in California. And uh, when I was about 20 years old, I moved to Boston and I lived there for about 10 years. I'm a professional musician, and that's that's kind of where that sort of launched. And then in 2009, I took an opportunity to play some music in Shanghai, and then I started kind of working around China a lot more. And that ended up, you know, uh, leading to me meeting uh, my, my wonderful girlfriend, and now we live together in Hong Kong. Wow. I've got about 92 questions that I want to ask <laughs> you about all that stuff. You know, you know what, Mike? Uh, we, we got something in common because— you know, mm -hmm. when, when I was uh, when I was 18, 19, 20, you know, I was I was also a professional musician. Well, I was nice. also going to university and uh, I was working at a barbecue restaurant, had a, a mm -hmm. part time job at Lowe's and, mm -hmm. and that didn't work out with so a Home Depot. But I was a professional musician. Actually, thinking back, I actually was never paid to play music. So that doesn't make me a professional musician at all. <laughs> so actually, you're the only professional musician out of the two of us on this phone conversation. So I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm envious. That is so awesome. And I can't wait to hear more about that. And, and, and listeners, I just want to let you guys know that uh, Mike is a freaking rock, rock star. God, I was just going to say pun intended. <laughs> that is so lame on my end. But uh, I want to thank you, Mike, because Mike does the show notes for the podcast. If you ever hear me saying, go to Recovery Elevator episode 162, look at the resources, look at the show notes. Mike is the one that writes that. It takes a lot of time. He's got to listen. He, he's got he's to hear me for like an hour straight. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he's got to write it down and, and you know, without grammar state mistakes. And so I want to say thank you very much, Mike, for doing that. You're very welcome. And, you know, it's uh, I figured I was going to be listening to the podcast anyway. So it's you know, it, it doesn't hurt to tack on a little bit, a little bit more. So, you know, so that I can give back a little bit as well. Yeah. And one of the stipulations is you got to share your story, which we're doing right now. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. And uh, part of your email, when you kind of gave us an introduction uh, about yourself, mm -hmm. you, you said something like the drink bone is connected to the smoke bone. I don't know if you sang that while you typed it, but that's how I read it. And uh, yeah, so if I hear that correctly, you realize you're trying to quit smoking and you're like, wait a second, uh, it's going to be a lot easier if I also quit drinking. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, smoking was because, you know, in, in addition to being a guitar player, I'm also a singer. And so smoking has kind of been in my way for a long time. And it wasn't until I was doing these, these hotel contracts in China that, you know, I, I had to perform six nights a week. They're very testing of, uh, of your personal, you know, craft to like mm -hmm. see if you can kind of cut it, if you can do it. And, you know, singing that much three to sometimes four sets a night isn't easy without proper technique. And, you know, yeah, smoking was just getting in the way of that. And it, I don't know, it, it just became clear to me at one point. Uh, I started reading Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Smoking. And 
I got about halfway through that book and I, re- I was like, you know what? I'm never going to be able to quit smoking if I don't quit drinking because every time that I had tried to quit before that had eventually, you know, had, I, maybe I'd lasted like two or three months without smoking. And then it was always after a couple of drinks that I would find myself back sliding back into the grip of tobacco addiction. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. One day the light bulb just kind of went off and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to focus on quitting smoking and then I'll take, you know, maybe 30 days of, uh, of no alcohol and see how that goes, you know, just to kind of put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. And, and then after 30 days, I felt so good that I just decided to keep going. And now it's like, as sobriety gets more and more difficult, I'm realizing what a task it was to, to quit drinking as well. Wow. And, and when was this? So you're 37. Was this yeah. you, in, in 6-20-2016 was your sobriety date. You, when did yeah. you start to quit smoking? That's the day that I quit smoking also. Oh, okay, okay. But you had some previous attempts and then you realized, oh, yeah. okay, these two are directly correlated. If I want to nip the smoking in the butt, I got to do the drinking. Yeah, I've been trying to quit smoking for like five years, just sort of off and on. And, you know, I would kind of gather up enough courage and I would try again. And then I might last, you know, X amount of time, whether it's like a week, a day or, or a year. Yeah. And then I would, I would just be out, especially being a musician. I'm always out in the nightlife uh, and that comes with its own struggles, drinking being one of them. So I always found myself with a drink in my hand. And then shortly after that, I always found myself with a cigarette in my hand as well. I guess I just never really accepted that as a reality. And one day I just realized, I was like, oh my God, they are totally connected. And the only way I'm going to be able to quit smoking is to quit drinking also. And you mentioned halfway through Alan Carr's book, The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. And I, I mm-hmm. read that book and I also had to quit smoking. And that Alan Carr guy, he's full of shit. There is no easy way to quit smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Correct. <laughs> I wanted to write many letters to the author while reading that. But yeah. when did you realize that you said about halfway through, you're like, man, I'm going to need to quit drinking also. What was the light bulb moment? What, what helped you come to that conclusion? Uh, I had to read that book maybe. I don't know, five times before, wow. before it, you know, just sort of here and there. And like, uh, I would, you know, through with different quitting attempts, I would reread the book and then I guess it finally worked. Like it finally kind of brainwashed me. And so, uh, see, when did, when did the light bulb go off? The light bulb actually went off when I moved in with my girlfriend, Tamara. And suddenly when you're living with somebody, you know, you become more intimate and, and more close with them. And suddenly I realized that like my actions were having consequences that were bigger than myself because my life before that had been focused on myself, my own career, my own goals, like uh, my own advancement, my own, you know, skill levels and how good I was and, and trying to get better all the time and, and trying to focus on uh, weeding areas of my life out that would get in the way of my career. And when I started living with Tamara, like just that, that realization that I can't be out drinking and smoking until five o'clock in the morning, you know, because she worries about where I am. She worries about what I'm doing. And, and then she can't sleep at home, even though I would text her being like, baby, I'm fine. I'm just trying to network with these guys. I'm just trying to get gigs, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. One day, I guess my heart kind of like just told me like, you can't, you can't be out doing this anymore. You know, if you really care about this person and then ultimately if you really care about yourself. So that's really when the, I think that was the aha moment, like realizing that I was potentially going to hurt somebody else that I cared about. In regards to drinking, was were there indications that perhaps you weren't drinking normally, or was it is it mostly just like, look, when I drink, 
which in my opinion, alcohol is the gateway drug out there. Um, it's like when mm-hmm. I drink, mm-hmm. I smoke. Or was there an indication that, man, maybe I'm not drinking normally and I can't control my drinking and then I start smoking? Well, the, the, the big drinking, uh, big, the big sort of, I guess, the, the, the difficult part about drinking for me was I was on a, a contract in Beijing. And it was basically like an open bar. Like the, the manager was super cool and, and his father is a musician and he was like all about taking care of the musicians. And he was like, yeah, whatever you need, just drink, you know, drinks, whiskey, beer, wine, like whatever you want. So I'm working six nights a week and, uh, you know, every night of the week is somebody's party. And so, and I'm, you know, being like the guitar player singer up on stage, I'm even kind of like in charge of the party, you know, like yeah, I have keeping to keeping kind of, it going and getting it going. Yeah. And so I have to entertain people and, and ultimately like I'm partnering with the bar, like you know, we work together in this business of like selling alcohol and, and putting butts in the seats. Yeah. So, uh, I was drinking a lot basically because, uh, there was always like a reason to drink. It was either like, Oh, I'm hungover. I don't feel good. Or it was, you know, this person, it was so-and-so's birthday on a Tuesday night or whatever. And, and they, and they bought me a round of shots or whatever. And yeah, so there was just, there was a lot of booze and I started to get really, really tired and really run down. And, uh, I had just finished reading this book called standing at the water's edge, which is about creative, psychology and about like how to Hmm. how to you know deal with your creativity and how to you know sort of open the floodgates for creativity and i read on the back that she did skype therapy lessons you know or or, uh, skype therapy sessions Uh so i just on a whim i reached out to her and then we started skyping back and forth and she helped me realize she said you know i honestly she's like i don't really deal with recovery but she says all the things that you're saying about what's difficult for you right now. She says, I think your drinking is the problem and not the way that you're dealing with your problems. Wow. And that was like, I said, oh, <laughs> like, because, you know, in our minds, we use booze to try to manage whatever is difficult for us, right? Like we're, we're like, oh man, this person said that, or I'm feeling this because of this, or, or even sometimes we won't even realize that we're feeling something. We'll just reach for the bottle. I never once even thought that alcohol was the center of the problem. And when she said that, that kind of my head like blew open and I was like, oh, my God, you're right. Wow. And then what, what happened after that? And when was that in regards to the you know, so June 20th, 2016, your sobriety date? Was that pretty close to that date? No, that was maybe like that was like a year before that. OK. And did you have any attempts to to moderate, to taper down to, or to, to try to quit? Actually, shortly after that, I did. Because uh, I had reached out to my family. I was talking to my dad on Skype. Um, my dad's in Ohio. And so we were chatting. And, you know, just I kind of asked him. I was like, yeah, I think I think my I think this lady is right. Like she said that my drinking is the problem, you know. And my dad, I think, used to has a little bit of a dark past with with booze also. But but he doesn't drink. And he, he never drank like my entire life growing up. He said, well, you know, just put rules on. He's like, you can just basically only drink during working hours or you can only drink before the gig and not during the gig and definitely not after the gig. And so I, I started doing that. I started only drinking during work hours and then which in a way was sort of like a form of torture because then like all day I'd be like waiting until I could start work so that I could have a drink and I would need that drink to kind of settle myself to feel like comfortable enough to get up on stage and, and sing yeah. And then just as the night would go on, then I would drink more. And then by the end of the night, it was woo, rock and roll. And then <laughs> It's my job. Uh, I got to keep the party going. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exhausting. And I, I yeah. know somewhat <laughs> firsthand about that is because I used to right. own a bar in Spain. And 
And yeah, it'd, oh, be, yeah. it'd be a Tuesday night. And I felt like it was my job to go shot for shot with every customer that walked in the door. And sometimes it felt like I had 150 shots in one night. I mean, obviously I didn't, but yeah, I justify Ooh. it like yep. that's my job. And I have to get this party going. It's Tuesday night. If it's not a raging party tonight, the bar is going out of business. A, that doesn't even make sense in my mind, but that's how I thought. Right. And it's also mm -hmm. not sustainable. I mean, at that clip, I probably would have only lasted a couple of years. Looking back, I only did last a couple of years. <laughs> so yeah, right. exactly. I got what was coming pretty quick. <laughs> um, I mean, it was killing me very slowly and it was painful. So it sounded like that willpower te technique was, it was torture, you said, right? And tell us more about that. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely torture. And at, at, that, at this point, I didn't really real or think that I had an addiction to alcohol because the, the only addiction that I thought I had was tobacco. But when you when you are addicted to something, it essentially hijacks your brain. And so like the entire day, you know, I'd be going about my day working on tunes or whatever, going to eat different places. And, and all I could think about was like, ah, is it seven o'clock yet? Like, can I <laughs> can I go to the bar and mm -hmm. get that free drink, you know? And then the more that that went on as the as time went on that got more and more difficult like i got i found myself having like more and more anxiety during the day things like that because i started to feel like i was being controlled by like time itself by my work hours like i had to wait until seven to drink and then what ended up happening is i just started drinking like all day <laughs> more or less because, <laughs> uh, those those, those rules like held it in place but not for very long yeah, it's it's like shitty scotch tape, right? This is it's like the generic scotch tape brand that just that even sucks. It doesn't hold it together for very long, right? Yeah, and exactly. the, and then it's like because I remember when they had the bar in Spain, and even before I got sober, now I'd have that rule in a place like I'm only drinking after I get to the bar. I'm only drinking after a certain time. But yeah, and then mm -hmm. there's just like this your general state. Insert this. Your insert uncomfortable feelings. Insert this you know, uneasiness. And it's just right, brutal right. waiting. You're looking at the clock waiting. And oftentimes I was sweating. Uh, it, it was just miserable. You know, yeah, exactly. addiction is addiction. I, someone asked me, he's like, which was harder, quitting smoking or quitting drinking? And I'm like, oh, smoking. But that to me, it's, it's, mm. more, it's more recent. I think they're both equally effing terrible. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah right. You know, and, but, I, but I learned I, the way that I was able to be successful with smoking was that I applied a lot of the rules that I learned while quitting drinking. And number one, mm. you said you I probably you bet you can agree with me this with this with Alan Carr's book. You read it cover to cover a couple of times is that yep. he just he just hammers the point that it's it's not a sacrifice. It's an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. so how did you do it? How did you go through day one, day two, day three when you get those cravings, when you want to just push somebody in front of a bus? Maybe that somebody is yourself. How did you get through those really hard moments? Well, there's there's a little piece that I have left out. So since I. When I was living in China, I was trying to, you know, uh, trying to learn Chinese, trying to just kind of make the most of being over there to kind of get the most out of it that I could. So I spent some time learning Mandarin. When I moved to Hong Kong, in Hong Kong, they don't speak Mandarin. They speak Cantonese. And not only that, but Cantonese is much more difficult to learn than Mandarin. It has, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's only spoken by like a smaller demographic of people. But luckily, there is a lot of English here, so it's it's um, it's actually easier to live here as an expat. But but uh, anyway, the point is, when I moved to Hong Kong, I said, well, okay, so what am I going to do in Hong Kong? Like, should I try to learn Cantonese? And and when I did kind of look into it, it was much more difficult. So I said, forget that. And then right around the same time, I I don't I forget how I was reminded of it, but essentially I started uh, I, I I found this ad for a Wing Chun school, a Kung Fu school. And I had kind of, it, it had always been since, you know, watching Karate Kid as a kid, it had always been like a lifelong dream to get a black belt in 
some kind of martial art. So I started learning Wing Chun Kung Fu here in Hong Kong. And something about doing that, along with moving in with my girlfriend, the, the Wing Chun Kung Fu, Kung Fu gave me the tools that I needed to be able to relax during those difficult first few weeks. So I just, I, I would go out running. There's a track nearby. In the morning, I would just kind of kickstart my day with a run. And then after that, I would come home and I would just do my, do my forms and do my standing and I would go into class and, and learn. So yeah, I, I think that was really the, the game changer for me. Like that was the tool that I was able to, to learn that helped me sort of rebalance and recenter myself during that tumultuous period. And I think everybody knows what question is coming next. And unfortunately, Mike, you don't because there's like three or four episodes in the hopper that have not been edited yet. The final mix down has not been put together. And this is going to make a lot more sense once you write the show notes for those podcast episodes. (laughs) But here's the question, Mike, Uh was everybody Kung Fu fighting? You know, like the Carl Douglas (laughs) song. Was everybody Kung Fu fighting? Uh, uh, Actually, apparently there's apparently Kung Fu is not as popular as it used to be. So I would say less people are Kung Fu fighting uh, in Hong Kong specifically, but around the world, more people are Kung Fu fighting now than ever before. Gotcha. That's, that's actually a parallel to alcohol is around the world. More people are drinking now than ever. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we, we, we take it at face value when we hear, oh my God, everybody drinks. You don't know what it's like to get sober in Hong Kong because everybody drinks. And then I saw a meme that said, everybody is Kung Fu fighting. And I did some research into that, (laughs) Mike, and even in the music video, like Carl Douglas is like air Kung Fu fighting. He's not even real fighting somebody. And listeners are probably like, okay, Paul, you've mentioned the silly meme 15 times. (laughs) So we're going to move past it pretty quick. But yeah, it sounds like, you know, Kung Fu, there's, you you mentioned your stances, there's poses, there's breathing. It sounds like it's almost meditative, right? It's uh, it, especially th- this particular lineage of, of Wing Chun Kung Fu is very meditative. It's it's more similar to Tai Chi and the way that they approach how to move. So when you're learning the forms, it's just it's very slow and mindful. And the entire time, the intention that's set in your mind while you're doing the form is just to relax, 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 relax. And after doing the forms for maybe my first few months, I started to experience like really deep, like letting go of tension that I had been holding like internally. I don't know. There was one day I was doing my form and I was just sort of standing and trying to move properly. And yeah, and I felt like my, my diaphragm relaxed. I felt my rib cage relaxed. And I was like, oh, like I just felt this huge sort of uh, release of tension. And, and before, you know, when I was running around drinking and smoking, I never even was aware of some of the tension, the, the mountains of tension that I was carrying in my body. My, my awareness was dulled by, by uh, substance abuse. And so, Mike, when, when cravings come, you know, what, what do you do? And let me ask you this. You've, you've, got, you've got a good chunk of time away from the drink, away yeah. from cigarettes. You know, what happens when craving comes or an uncomfortable feeling arises in a cigarette and a drink is, isn't part of the coping you know, portfolio? Now, it's, for me, it's just about tension. So, like, cravings, you know, they're, they're just ten, they're physical tension that's, that's in the body. Or if I'm uncomfortable, like if I find myself in a social situation that's uncomfortable or something like that, I just go into my body. I just like I just take my mind, put it in, try to find out what's going on. I try to breathe, just relax. If I need to, I'll go outside, I'll get some air, you know, I'll just I'll just move. So like in, instead of sitting there being paralyzed by the feeling or, you know, because that's that's usually like the moment when we start to panic. And that's when we would reach for the easiest, quickest coping mechanism that we know. 
But yeah, now it's just, it's about the body. So I just say, all right, I just need to move. I need to go outside. I need, I need to walk. I need to do 15 push-ups. I need to, whatever I can do in that moment to help just kind of calm down. Yeah, I wrote down what you said, where cravings are physical tension. I, I like that a lot. And it resonates that, yeah, it's, something's built up. And, and you can yeah. even wait them out. Usually I've learned that cravings have like a 20-minute lifespan. I used to say, hey, Siri, set a timer for blank, you know, 20 minutes and just, just wait it out. But yeah, it sounds like there's other more active ways that work for you. You drop, do 20 push-ups, be active. And yeah, right. Just just don't become static with that that feeling. Like when the feeling grips you, don't just let it hold you like just try to shake it off you know in, in whatever way you can that makes a lot of sense and and mm -hmm. you know there's a thing called terminal uniqueness where we all think our stories are mm -hmm. almost terminally unique where it's like, you know i, I right. remember going to aa and be like i'm nothing like these people i don't have anything in common with these people and i encourage listeners if you're listening saying well he he you, you first quit you quit drinking to quit smoking addiction is addiction right. and I, I i encourage you guys to focus on the similarities and not the differences but Mike, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I want I want to chat about being in that scene, right? So you are like it's sure. part of your job to end up yeah. in your contract, part of your payment. Like you, yeah, know, yeah. you get this amount of money per night. Plus, yes. Mike, it's open barred, bro. And right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's the culture. So I guarantee there's somebody out there listening who's a musician. That's like, yeah, right. well, you know, like I can't, like I can't do this because it's my job, it's my environment. How you know, talk to us how it's been? Mm -hmm. Is it is it enjoyable? More enjoyable? Less enjoyable? Is it is it sustainable? You know, being sober in that type of environment. I think so. I think it is uh, because when you're on the other side of it, uh, the other side of it from where I am now. So like when you're on the other side, where you're in the nightlife and you're drinking a ton, and you're you sort of believe all the things that people believe about the nightlife. We're like, oh, I got to, you know, everybody's got to do shots. I got to, ooh, it's a party, you know, and, and, and everybody's having the most intense and important conversation of their entire lives, like in that drunken moment, you know. On that end, it looks scary to, to think about becoming sober because I think you start to worry about what other people are going to think of you. You start to worry about, you know, whether or not you can do anything without alcohol because alcohol is so normalized and it's so prevalent in our society. It, it just seems daunting. It seems like, like too much. But going through the process of quitting drinking and and just sort of, I don't know, I just made I just made the decision to like not care about what other people think in those bars and in that stuff. And now that I've been doing it for over 600 days, I guess, if I look at the number here, it's way easier than I thought it was going to be because I've, I've developed other ways to cope with it. So my, my strategy would be just find like another way to deal with those uncomfortable feelings and then quit. You know, or, or quit and then those other ways will will find you because you'll have no choice but to seek them out, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Like now, like now that I've been sober for this long, drinking doesn't look that attractive anymore. Like because like working in the bar with drunk people all over the place, you know, it's like uh, it looks ridiculous. But when you're in it, it's like it's amazing. It's epic. It's this celebration or something. But on the outside, I'm like, yeah, it looks looks kind of silly and everybody looks like a big toddler, you know? <laughs> I, I love uh, what you said about, I decided not to care what others thought about my drinking. And yeah, number yeah. one, like I found out that like others really don't care about my drinking. And that was kind of like that everybody is Kung Fu fighting. We're going to circle the wagons on that one again, guys. Because <laughs> cool. yeah. each interview, I'm like, please, somebody reference Kung Fu so I can ask this like, dynamite <laughs> question. And you did it, Mike. And I'm like, yes, Here we are, yeah. prayers have been answered. <laughs> 
But yeah, cool. yeah, you just, you just assume that everybody's doing it and drinking at the same levels you are. And then yeah. for number one, like when I quit drinking, I was like, well guys, I'm not drinking anymore. And their responses were always completely like a letdown. Like, guys, aren't, did you not just hear what I said? Like, yeah, Paul, we don't really care yeah, what right. you do. Right. That's cool. Good for you, Paul. Like, you know, we can, want me to turn off the lights, stop the music and then you can make it like, we don't care. And so right. you're right. Like I had, I, I DJ at a, at a, at a, at a bar nightclub and, and this is in Bozeman, I think for almost two years without drinking and people would ask me how I did it. It's like, well, to be honest, the worst part about it is the drunk people. And that was like sobriety yeah. fuel. People would come Bingo. up. Yeah. yeah. And this is like insane to you. People come up and request a song mm -hmm. and, and there's like, well, you almost fell on top of my guitar. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, that was like the worst part about it was the drunk people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and, and Mike, like what is on your bucket list in sobriety? The sobriety bucket list. Uh, yeah, I, th there's a lot of physical things that I'd like to do, like, I, you know, the, the, the sort of just general life bucket list, like maybe go bungee jumping, I don't know, jump out of a plane, hike Kilimanjaro, you know, whatever. Because there, there are many physical things that I just refuse to even consider when I was smoking and drinking all the time because I always felt terrible. And when you're in the grips of an addiction, the idea of something like that, you know, that, that's going to take away energy and time from your addiction is always like a is, is always a, a, a no. So you're like, oh no, I'm uh, I'm actually busy Tuesday. I don't have time to hike Mount Kilimanjaro because I'm doing something. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But really, you just are afraid that it's going to get in the way of your drinking, or in front of your smoking. So now that I don't have that issue, now I'm like, oh, there's so many things that I want to do. In, being in Hong Kong, there's so much of Asia that I want to see. I just want to yeah focus on on uh, the positive things around me and just saying yes to all the opportunities that that pop up because there were so many that I turned turned away in the past. Mike, there was a time, uh, I think seven or eight years ago where I declined an opportunity to go on an awesome backpacking trip. It's like a 10 day yeah. backpacking trip in the mountains in Colorado for that mm -hmm. very reason out of fear. Yeah. And I made, because fear was like, Hey, I'd be busted when I showed up at the trailhead with 300 pounds of beer or like seven bottles of whiskey. You just, you just I couldn't, right. I couldn't go that long without alcohol physically. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And like, a, there were so many decisions that I made in life based on fear. And you mentioned the same thing right now. I was like, you're like, yeah, I was afraid I couldn't do it because of that. I was making excuses and tell us what it's like now to be almost relinquished to that fear. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's liberating. And it, you know, it's just, yeah, life is, is, is awesome. And it's, it's beautiful. And there are so many things out there to see. And there are so many cool people to meet, you know, Paul and yourself included. I can't wait to shake your hand one day. And you know, there's, there's so many opportunities out there. And like you say, being, being sober is, is a big one, is one of them. And yeah. And from that, uh, who was it? Bill Gates used to say opportunity begets opportunity, right? Yeah. So sobriety is like, it opens so many beautiful doors to so many great experiences in life. And yeah. And just, just open up and try to, try to see, just try to experience all the positive that's out there. Um, and Mike, what's the recovery scene like in Hong Kong? Are you involved in 12-step meetings out there? Walk us through a day of your recovery. Well, I, I know that there are recovery programs here because I used to have a friend, that I, a musician friend that I used to play with, lived in Hong Kong before I did. And he went to AA in Hong Kong, and he says it's actually a pretty cool group of people. I never actually have made it out to those programs. There, there was a time when I was like at the very in very early sobriety I was thinking about it I just I never made it over there but I I found solace in the resources online and I found solace in the the guys at my kung fu studio who were basically all for the most part sober already so 
I, I don't know. In many ways, I feel kind of alone because I haven't met very many people over here that are sober. So it's like you guys, sort of the Cafe Ari, the podcast, like you guys are my community, you know. And the, the fact that I'm in Hong Kong is, is a, a side thought. Yeah. I mean, just think of this scenario that we're both living in the current moment that wouldn't be able yeah. to happen 20, 30 years ago. I don't know when the invention of Skype happened, but with Facebook, mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago, we were kind of on an island and we had to go to the community in, in our, yeah, in our, in our neighborhood for AA, which there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's so awesome mm -hmm. in 2018, even though the sun has set where you're at, the sun is rising where I'm at here in Bozeman, Montana. It's pretty cool that right. we're both right. able to recover and it's a two way street. I hang up, yeah. you know, when I finish these phone calls, these interviews, I'm like, boom, like I'm energized for my day. It's like sobriety fuel. So thank you for being part of my sobriety, Mike. And, oh, you're uh, welcome. Yeah, yeah. It, it's awesome. And I also, uh, I traveling is, is a big, <laughs> is a big interest of mine. And, um, I went to Philippines last year to meet my virtual mm. assistant in person. That was incredible. I went to Guam. <laughs> I met a member of Cafe Ari. He showed me around the island of Guam, like so random, but like you, you mentioned, you know, with Bill Gates saying opportunity begets opportunity, I'm probably right. going to have to go to Hong Kong now. <laughs> yeah, it would be my absolute pleasure to welcome you to Hong Kong anytime. Yeah, yeah. that would be incredible. I'm, 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 I want to make that happen. That's, that's, hey, Mike, uh, will you please ask me what's on your bucket list in sobriety real quick? So, Paul, what is your, uh, what is on your bucket list in sobriety moving forward? Yeah, I want to check out Cambodia. No, 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 Hong Kong, Hong Kong. <laughs> yep, Hong Kong. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Definitely Hong Kong. And Mike, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. What was your worst memory from addiction? And this can be with cigarettes. This can be with alcohol. But what was your worst overall memory from addiction? My worst memory, I think, was after like a, like a two-day-long kind of bender, waking up and barely being able to breathe because I had smoked so many cigarettes because I was so drunk and being so hungover that I was in such a fog, like my mind was in such a fog and I just felt so horrible. I could barely even leave the house to like go get food to, to eat that day. And I ended up meeting up with a friend and he was like, God, what happened to you? You look terrible. And I swear to God, I could barely remember my own name. Like I felt like I had uh, just, oh yeah, I just felt so terrible that I couldn't even, I could barely function. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm happy to leave that in the past. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And Mike, yeah. we've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating the gig was up? Yeah, I think I think my oh shit moment was that moment with the therapist when she said, I think your, your drinking is the problem. And uh, yeah, just the, the paradigm shift when suddenly I looked at alcohol in a completely different way. And then going forward, it, it was never the same after that. And Mike, l let me dive into that, that response just a little more. Sure. You know, was that the first time, a couple of questions here, was that the first time somebody mentioned that to you? And, and number two, like what, I mean, you were ready because I've, I had therapists ask me before, mm. I was like, Paul, do you think alcohol is the problem? Clearly it was looking back, but my response was no. Thank you for the question. Next question, mm -hmm. please. So <laughs> you were ready to explore that. And some, a lot of people get defensive when they hear that. Yeah. What was it like for you? And then. Was that the first time somebody said that to you? And why do you think you're ready to explore that? that? That was the first time somebody had been honest with me about it because I had asked other people before about, you know, struggling with drinking, but I was asking other alcoholics. So like my buddies and my, my drinking buddies and my, my party dudes. And I was like, man, how do you do it? Like, how do you drink so much and, and function and feel fine the next day? And they're like, oh, you're fine. You know, you're, you're not drinking that much. You're okay. Like, you know, this is normal. 
essentially is what we all kind of believed collectively. So, you know, when I'm asking, when I'm asking other alcoholics, essentially, like, you know, what's wrong with my drinking, I was getting, you know, messed up answers. So the therapist was the first person who just kind of said it like it was and, and told me the truth. Yeah, our our baseline is like, how much does Bradley Cooper drink? How much does Hank Williams drink? Right. How right. much does the gal who sang Rehab, that I can't think of her name right now, oh, top of my head. Amy Winehouse. Yeah, Thank Amy you. Winehouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, our baseline is like, yeah, everybody is kung fu fighting and drinking at the same levels when we're looking at other people kind of in the industry. But yeah, yeah. that's that's yeah. awesome. And with, with 603 days of sobriety, Mike, what's your plan mm-hmm. moving forward? My plan moving forward is to continue to set my priorities on health, on not overdoing it, you know, just sort of taking it a day at a time. Hey, there's your there's your AA quote. And just, yeah, trying to, I mean, basically follow all your advice. Like n- never say that I got this. Never say that that it's finished, you know, and to, to just to stay vigilant and to stay positive and upbeat about it and to try to stay focused on the things that are important going forward in my career and my, my relationship, my family, my health. Yeah. And obviously continue to listen to, to podcasts and consume resources because the subconscious mind plays a big part, right. In, in, uh, in sobriety and like things that you believe about different substances and to try to fill my subconscious mind with the right stuff, you know, recovery elevator and some other great podcasts that I listen to as well. Yeah, speaking of resources, what are some other podcasts that you listen to, some other books, and what are your, some of your favorite resources in recovery? Yeah, The Recovery Elevator, That Sober Guy, and Bell's One Minute Message. I don't know if hmm. if you guys know that one, but she's that one. Yeah, check her out. She's cool. She's a very, uh, I would say, prolific podcaster. She puts stuff out all the time, and yeah, she, she's been helpful as well. Like I, I started my morning routine just kind of like listening to her one-minute thing, and then I would kind of carry on from there. And obviously the Alan Carr books, because I think they worked. I think that quit smoking book worked because it slowly over time brainwashed, brainwashed me and changed the way that I thought about smoking. Yeah, I, I agree. It's like, it's a really good Kool-Aid to drink. You just keep reading it and yeah. you're like, man, I'm not giving up anything. It's a tremendous opportunity. So I agree hundred percent with you. Yeah. 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 Mike, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice that I ever received, I think, was just to begin today. Just uh, if you're feeling, if you're wondering about it, and if you're, if you're, if you are suffering, if you are feeling like you know alcohol or something has got a grip on you, just start. Just start today. Like, don't be afraid because it's so much better on the other side. I think. And then, Mike, what parting piece of guidance could you give the listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or smoking, or somebody who's already doing it? Yeah, I mean that's basically yeah the same that's that's the same thing I would say just just start just begin and forgive yourself and don't beat yourself up so if you slip it's okay just get back on the horse and keep your eyes on the prize as cliche as that sounds but just keep moving forward basically and Mike before we depart give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic gift line okay yeah so this one there was a time when I started carrying a flask and I would fill it with Jameson. And I would just go out and do my regular daily routine. But I felt like in, in, in my mind, I justified carrying this flask because, you know, just in case of like emergencies. And so if, if it ever becomes an emergency that you don't have alcohol, you might be an, alco- you might be an alcoholic. Yeah, I love it. I agree 100 percent. Those were yeah. scary times when the source of the alcohol was limited. 
Yeah. Terrifying times. And Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for all the time, volunteer time you have dedicated doing the show notes. Much appreciated. And I look forward to meeting you in Hong Kong. Likewise, man. Thanks so much for doing what you do. And thanks for having me on. and, And I'm happy to help out. So right around now, and especially in the next month, hopefully you're getting a tax return. I can't think of a better place to invest that than in yourself. We've still got just a couple spots left for you to join us in Peru this October 13th to the 23rd. We're going to do nonprofit work with Peruvian Hearts. We're going to do some community outreach programs with the community about alcohol. We're going to do a long hike on a trail that the Incas actually made themselves. It's called the Inca Trail. And then we're going to arrive on one of the seven wonders of the world, Machu Picchu. So go to recoveryelevator.com for more information about this trip. I imagine within the next week or two, we are going to hit capacity on this trip, or there will no longer be passes available for the Inca Trail. So don't wait. Okay, Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 